There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Albert. We are into the slow part of the NFL calendar, but there will be nothing slow about this podcast. We've got takeaways on the schedule. We've got takeaways on the Cowboys. We've got takeaways on the New York Jets' new running back. We also have a special guest this week to help us recap the 2020 draft and even look ahead a little bit to 2021. And as always, we wrap things up with all of your questions in the six-pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. It's the MMQB Podcast with Albert Breer. We're a week past the draft now. We're into this period where there's not going to be a whole lot going on. I mean, now till the end of training camp, um, no traditional OTAs, probably no full squad mini camps. The next time we'll see football players all together as a team, if we're lucky, it'll probably be the end of July for training camp. But we've got plenty of content always to get to you guys and we're going to try to get creative over the next couple of months to do that um great show for you coming this week we got a guest coming in just to recap this year's draft good friend of mine who knows the class inside and out and then we're going to look ahead a little bit to 2021 as well as always we're going to get to your questions in the mailbag but we start with the takeaways like we always do and you know my first takeaway the schedule release is going to look fairly normal, I think, on Thursday, outside of the fact that it's not going to be in a studio. It's going to be done remotely the way that the draft was done. 
Um, so it's going to look a little different. I think it'll be presented in much the same way presented as if we're going to have a normal schedule. But, you know, I think that you will be able to see at least traces of the contingency plans the NFL has been working on in how the schedule is presented. Now, whether or not they're open about that, we'll see. Uh, but I do think there will be elements to the schedule that will be tell. I can't tell you what those elements are going to be. What I can tell you is what teams are on the lookout for. Number one, they're on the lookout for sort of these collapsible pieces to the schedule. Now, it could be like week two to five. It could be week four to seven. Most teams don't expect it to come in week one. They do expect a normal week one schedule that in some way will celebrate, you know, a return to normalcy with a return of football. So, but you, you, you should be able to potentially see where the league collapse schedule. Well, how would they do that? Probably by putting and clustering interconference games together. So you can pull those right out. And maybe if you had to go to 14 or 12 games, it would look a little like baseball used to look like, where the American League and the National League wouldn't play against each other till the World Series. Number two, the new stadiums in Vegas and Los Angeles. It wouldn't be surprising if they give those teams, the Rams, the Raiders, the Chargers, um, a little more runway before opening those stadiums. So, you know, maybe in the case of the the, the LA teams, they maybe they'd hope to have a week one opening. Maybe that's in week two or week three. It'd be a little more difficult with two teams in the stadium logistically to push it too far back. Maybe the Raiders don't play in Vegas until week three. The Vegas stadium's a little behind the LA stadium in construction. So that'd be another thing to look at. And then three, uh, you know, how do the New York and L.A. teams and the teams that are in areas that were a little bit more affected or under stricter restrictions, how are, the, how are their schedules set up? So are the Jets and Giants backloaded with home games? Are the Patriots backloaded with home games? Are the L.A. teams backloaded with home games? Do we look in week 16 and we see the Rams playing on a Thursday and the Chargers playing on a Monday in SoFi Stadium? Same thing. In week 15, do we see the Jets playing on a Sunday and the Giants playing on a Monday at MetLife Stadium? I think those would be other things to watch. So it'll be interesting just to see when, we, when we're able to kind of sit and break this thing down, whether or not there are elements to the schedule that are directly related to what the contingency plans um, have been discussed um the, the 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 contingency plan is discussed over the last few weeks internally by the nfl takeaway number two i, I didn't it's sort of going to be a mea culpa i i thought it was unlikely the super bowl get moved after talking to people over the last week i think it's i don't think it's unlike i don't think it's that unlikely um i still think the chances are they play a 16 game schedule on time with fans in the stands and all of that i think there's still a good chance of that um, but after talking to some people about a couple of things that could be in play here, I kind of get the idea the Super Bowl could be moved. And there are a couple of reasons why. First, the and I didn't know this, but one of the reasons I thought that the NFL wouldn't move the Super Bowl is because the amount of convention space it takes, because the amount of hotels, hotel rooms it requires. What I didn't know is when each Super Bowl city bids, part of the bidding process is that you've got to build in dates that the league, you got build in dates that are cleared so the league can move the Super Bowl if it has to. I don't know what those dates are for, for Tampa, but as part of the bidding process, they would have been required to block off dates other than just February 7th for the game. And so it wouldn't be maybe as hard to move it as I had initially thought. Um, second, and I think this is just as important, if not more important, uh, I think it's, I think it's, they would rather play 
a full 16-game schedule starting October 1st or November 1st rather than a schedule, um, a full schedule starting October 1st or November 1st with fans rather than any part of the schedule without fans. And the reason why is simple. It's money. Um, the estimates I got from having talked to some, some, some team presidents over the weekend, it had cost the league about a, it had cost teams about a hundred million dollars a piece on average, some more, some less, but on average about a hundred million dollars a piece in local revenue. If they played the whole season without fans, that would mean, I mean, obviously a big financial hit for the owners. It would also mean that the players would feel it and that that would affect the salary cap the next year. And, you know, say it's a $100 million loss, right? Well, if it's a $100 million loss per team, that's $48 million off the salary cap. And that's significant. That's going to affect how teams look at individual players, how they plan to extend this player or that player. And I don't think that they would take the hit all at once. I think the league would negotiate with the union to smooth the cap out. The problem with that is for players is then you'd be borrowing from future years. So you might not experience the spike when the new TV deals go in in a couple of years. And so, uh, yeah, I think to avoid those sorts of things, I, I think it would be valuable for the teams. It'd be valuable for um, it'd be valuable for the players. It'd be valuable for the television networks to be able to present the real NFL product. So, I don't think it's I'll just put it this way. I think I'm I think it's more likely than I thought it was a couple of weeks ago that the season the start of the season could be moved and a full 16 game schedule could start say October 1st or November 1st if they think it's going to make a difference as far as having fans in the stands. Uh takeaway number 3, Don Shula, one of the great one of the great uh figures in NFL history passed away this week. Um you know, I just and I didn't have the personal interaction with him some other people did. Um, I can just tell you the people in the Dolphin organization revered him and that's not fake. It's real. And, uh, you know, I, like he was really, I think very few people in the history of the NFL have achieved the sort of iconic status that Shula achieved. Um, and I think there are, there are a few things that really stick out to me. Number one, how, what he did, how he did, what he did sort of crossed generations and, you know, I think about the fact that, um, you know, he won with the Baltimore Colts, was sort of like, was on like a track to be like in a Hall of Fame level coach um, during his seven years with the Colts. And that's just the Colts, right? Most people don't, there were a lot of people out there who probably don't know he coached for the Colts. Then he goes to the Dolphins in 1970. They have the two Super Bowl teams, three actually made it there, two won it. One of those teams is the undefeated team, which is going to go down, which goes down in NFL history as one of the the all-time greats. Then he comes back and he wins with Marino in the 80s and 90s when I was growing up. And even in between, right? Like even in between, like I believe two years before Dan Marino got to Miami, maybe it was a year before Marino got to Miami, he went to a Super Bowl with David Woodley. And so it's just this consistent success, being able to win with different guys over and over and over again. And like, I, I don't know why this popped into my head, um, why I did the math um, the other day, but I, I looked at, like when I looked at his, the totality of what he had accomplished, I saw that my dad was 14 when, when Don Shula took the job in Baltimore and I was 15 when he retired from the Dolphins. So you want to talk about spanning generations 
fact, I might have been 16. I think I was actually 16. Um, you want to talk about spanning generations and being able to kind of link one generation to the next. That's Don Shula. The other part of his impact that I think is undeniable, um, the impact in the state of Florida. Uh, you know, when he went there, I'm not sure what it was like, but I, I, I would venture to say football wasn't in the position that it is now there, um, where it's the number one sport. And like, if you look right now, and I, I looked this up the other day, it, uh, among the top 100 recruits in the class of 2020 um, in high school football, 17 are from the state of Florida. That's a staggering number. It's become a hotbed for talent. And we've seen what, like, what what's happened to the pro game there they've expanded twice more the nfl has expanded twice more in that state the the buccaneers in 76 and the jaguars in 95 and the college programs have it at times um and almost alternating times been among the best in the country florida state florida miami and you even have some of the other programs ucf usf that have sort of burst under this scene as well seen as well and so i mean florida has become a capital of football uh, a capital, a capital for football. And, you know, when Don Shula got there in 1970, I'm not sure it was that way. So RIP Don Shula, um, one of the great figures, not just in the history of the NFL in the history of all of sports. Uh, takeaway number four, Frank Gore, positively amazing um, for him to, 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 to be still playing and um, good for him. Um, you know, winding up, uh, you know, pl- deciding to come out and play a 16th NFL season. It's, at that position, like almost incomprehensible. Um, and I do think that there's a, a couple things to watch here. You know, first, I think you have to kind of keep an eye on what this is, what Adam Gase's intent is here. And I, and I remember two years ago when they brought him to the Dolphins, the, the part of the importance of bringing him in there was a culture thing. And Adam Gase coming out of the 2017 season really felt like they needed to hit the reset button in that regard. The Dolphins did. And so they brought in Danny Amendola. They brought in Frank Gore. They brought in uh, they brought in Robert Quinn. They brought in a lot of like high character guys. And, you know, Gase really thought there was value in that. Now, ultimately, the, the, the season went the wrong way. But he really felt like at the end of the year, that team was still playing hard despite all the circumstances. So many things uh, so many things, you know, kind of went sideways and everything else the year before. Um, even as even when that team had its issues in 2018, um, you know, he was able to sort of kind of keep that train on the tracks. And Frank Gore is a big part of that. So I think that's a piece of it. And then, of course, what does this mean for Le'Veon Bell? Um, we know that like how up and down Le'Veon Bell's whatever it is now, 14 months with the Jets have been. What does this mean for how Le'Veon Bell's used? What does this mean for Le'Veon Bell's future there? I think there are a lot of questions you can ask. Finally, takeaway number five. I know what everybody's going to do with, with the Andy Dalton situation and sort of trans, transpose it to like to to the to the Dak or I guess transpose is the wrong word, right? Like like affix it to the to the um, to the Dak Prescott contract negotiation. I'm going to give you a different. I'm going to give you kind of a, a different look at this one. I think this is more about the Cowboys' experience with backup quarterbacks and their history with backup quarterbacks, and they've seen both sides of it. They saw it in 2015 when Tony Romo went down, and I believe they finished 4-12 and because they were completely unprepared at the backup quarterback position. And so they wound up having to bring in, I mean, like it was one thing to the next to the next, and that was a really good team. They were coming off of, I believe, a 12-4 and year, 
that like almost they almost wound up in the NFC title game. That was the Des Cotet situation that prevented them from getting there. But they wind up four and twelve the next year. So there they see how things can go wrong if you're not properly fortified with the backup quarterback. The year after that, Romo gets hurt again, and in comes a fourth round pick named Dak Prescott. They find out they've struck gold. They go thirteen and three. So Cowboys have seen what this looks like both ways, good and bad. If you're prepared, if you're not prepared. They have a team right now that's full of players that are right in the like, just prime of their careers or in the back end of the prime of their careers, and you can go through the players. I mean, Zach Martin, Tyron Smith, Amari Cooper, Zeke Elliott, Demarcus Lawrence, uh, you know, on and on and on, Jalen Smith. You have all these players that are sort of right there in the wheelhouse of their, of, of their prime, and that puts the team in, in a championship window and so what happens if you lose your starter for five or six weeks? You need somebody who's going to protect the team's ability to contend, protect the team's seeding. That's what Teddy Bridgewater did for the New Orleans Saints last year. And so I think that's why Andy Dalton's there. That said, it does give the team a little leverage in that they can say, okay, Dak, you don't want to show up for training camp? Fine. You know, we're going to be okay implementing Mike McCarthy's offense, getting ourselves ready to go without you here. And so it does give the team a little bit of leverage from that standpoint. But that said, I, I think this is more about the team's history with, um, with backup quarterbacks, and in particular, the way it went the right way in 2016 and the wrong way in 2015. All right, so those are my takeaways, and we're going to get to our special guest right after this. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. The chaos in Washington, D.C. 
and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now we're going to bring in a, a recurring guest to the podcast, good friend of mine, a colleague for my, of mine for a bunch of years at NFL Network, and uh, you know one of the absolute premier draft guys in the business, uh, Daniel Jeremiah. Welcome back. I guess I'd start here, bud. Like, what's this week like for you? I mean, I, 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 I'd imagine it'd be like the draft, like maybe day three is the last day of school, and, and now it feels a little like summer vacation. Yeah, I, I was able to retire the Razor. Uh, which was a which was a good feeling. Put that thing to the side. I've logged a uh, uh, a bunch of jump shots in the driveway. I've got some quality pool time, um, and then in between that, still catching up with buddies around the league and kind of seeing what's going on. But it's been nice. Yeah, I like to catch my breath a little bit after that thing's over, man. It's a it's my favorite event of the year. It's obviously the, the, the key part of my job. Um, but once it gets done, it's kind of like taking that final tour, man. It's uh, it's a good feeling. Okay, so so let's start here. I, I want to just kind of get your general impressions from from how the draft went. Um, and, and when you, I know a lot of people, you know, it struck me because like a lot of people had said like, okay, like everybody's going to be wrong this year because mm-hmm. there isn't as much, you know, there isn't as much gossip out there. Guys aren't trading, you know, trading gossip at pro days. There's not as much interaction between teams. And, you know, you don't have all the scouts coming in house for the draft meetings where a lot of the chatter happens. Is, do you do you think there's a reason why it wasn't that way? You know, like it felt like it was pretty chalk. You know, like yeah. and not that there weren't some curveballs there. Uh, maybe you know people didn't have Andrew Thomas going fourth to the Giants. They might have had a Tristan Wirfs or someone there. But it seemed like the surprises that we saw were relatively minor. So have you kind of gone through that in your head? Why? I mean, in a year where maybe you'd think there'd be a lot of volatility, it was really chalk at the top. Well, I think because of the the limited interaction and the limited information that you had this year that you saw maybe a little more conservative approach, you know, uh, where you didn't have as many guys that were kind of late climbers, you know, those kind of late risers, whatever you want to call them. That didn't really happen this year. Even you know, like Jordan Brooks, 
was somebody that we had been talking about for a few weeks as, as somebody that, look, he's, he's ultra athletic. There's a chance he could sneak into round one. There was not, there wasn't really, uh, you know, even Igbenogany from Auburn, you knew that some teams really, really liked him. There wasn't that one pick where you're just like, where did that come from? Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of it was just teams being a little bit more cautious and a little bit more concerned. Okay. So, if there was one thing that did catch you by surprise on the first night, what would it have been then? Well, I think a lot of people were saying Green Bay with Jordan Love, but I mean, I'd, we had talked about that between us. I'd put it in a couple mock drafts uh, throughout the process, so that that didn't really surprise me all that much. I, to be honest with you, like one of the more surprising moves is because nobody could anticipate it was the Chargers coming back in. Um, to get Kenneth Murray uh, later on in the draft after taking Herbert. I, I think the, the thing that made this draft fun for me was that at five and six, the Miami Dolphins, you know, hat tip to them because we, we couldn't get a feel, you know, was the, there was some support for Herbert. We knew there was support for Tua, the medical, and then you find out that his doctors, you know, with the Dolphins, like all this stuff was kind of out there, and they ended up right where we began. Um, but that one was what made it kind of fun because literally, I swear, when they when they said the Dolphins pick is in, I didn't know. I didn't know if it's Herbert or, or, or if it was Tua. So, like, take us inside that then because I think that that part of it's fascinating. Like, when you're getting close to the draft, how is that discussion happening? You know, like with the medical, obviously, is a factor. You, you, the, the tape is the tape. They'd spent so many resources just – poured into the quarterback position and you know the owner was at the LSU game the owner was at the bowl game that he didn't even play in like the team president was at the bowl game they 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 just expend expended so many resources on on scouting the kid and all the quarterbacks and then you have the medical that's sort of sitting out there you have your last set of medical meetings like like and I I know you don't know exactly how Miami's maybe yeah. went at the end but like how does that discussion happen at the very end where they're signing off on Tua, and they're deciding, okay, we're comfortable. We're doing this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of a two-part process. You put the list together based off where you're comfortable, and that's with your personnel department. Obviously, your head coach and your owner are involved in that process. But just as a player, stack them. And then you have them stacked. And then I would imagine, you know, the last piece of medical information they could have where it was just the doctors giving you kind of a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down on this one. I think that that – happened in early April, you know, when they, when they were comfortable with the medical at that point in time, obviously did a nice job of not letting that out of where they stood on the medical. Because I think if, look, if, if they had told us um, or any of us out there in the media that they were comfortable with Tua medically, if that had been uttered, we would have all said they're taking Tua, you know, they're not going to take Justin. That was the deciding factor for, for me and trying to figure out how do you, how do you guess who these guys are going to pick? And when you have that piece of information that's that's there's that void there, um, that's where you fill it and say, okay, well, if they don't, if there's nothing certain there, then maybe it's Herbert. But you know, I'm sure they had that information in hand and in house, and they knew they were going to take two. I'm, I'm assuming they knew that early in April. How much better was two on tape than Herbert? Well, I thought I thought I thought there was a pretty good gap between them. Um, I just think the the word urgency. The word that I would use, I just think Tua just played with more urgency, obviously surrounded by tremendous talent, um, but just more instinctive, um, just more of a feel for the game. Herbert's bigger, stronger, faster. Um, he can make some unbelievable throws. 
but I think that's still kind of he's still getting more comfortable in his in, in his playing style. Whereas I think Tua knows exactly who he is in that regard. Knowing what you know, if you were the Dolphins, you think you would have. If you were the GM, you think you would have felt comfortable with it, like you know. And I think you and I have gone over the history. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's been, there's some bad history of like yeah. teams rolling the dice on quarterbacks in the first round with injury history. Um, you know, do you think you would have felt comfortable going forward too, or do you not know enough? Yeah, I mean, not knowing the medical side of it, you know, in terms of what your doctors are saying, and it's it's two things, right? Is he going to be up to speed, ready to play at the beginning of the year? Yeah, okay, that's one piece of information. But then, what's the likelihood of recurrence, and how much longevity are we talking about here? Um, and you know how GMs think, right? If if you can guarantee me, I'm going to get four or five great years out of this kid, but then I'm getting the next contract. And that's how a lot of these guys operate is okay. That's that gets me to the next contract and we'll, we'll deal with that problem when it arises. But if you can guarantee me, we're going to get five years of high level play, then, then we're okay there. It's just hard to sit on the outside without having that detailed medical information. I, I know if I'm going to take a little bit of a risk on a player, I'm going to take it on a kid like this, who I've seen play at a ridiculously high level. Okay. So, like just from a global standpoint, when you look at the, the 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 draft in general, and I I don't even know. Do you do draft grades? Uh, path of the draft. I only had to do two days. Uh, I did it Monday and Tuesday, so I had to do it for a couple divisions. But I never. I don't. I don't do like the full article on draft grades. I'm not. To be perfectly honest with you, I've never been a big uh, a draft grade fan. Right. But uh, you, you know how it is. The numbers for those are off the chart. Oh, I know. People love it. So it's I get, like I get, I get why, <laughs> I get why it's done, but I don't really enjoy that. Yeah. It's like internet heroin. It's like, uh, like that in the mocks. Like, yeah. so like the reason I ask is I want to like, I'm sure there are some teams that like you look at and you say, at least on paper, like, I think that they did well. And yeah. for me, when I go through that, it's sort of like, wow, like it seems like that guy, they got that guy at a really good spot and they got this yeah. guy at a really good spot. That's normally mm-hmm. the way I kind of process it. So from that standpoint, like, are there a couple teams that you thought did really well? Yeah, I thought Baltimore and Minnesota I thought were outstanding um, just in terms of, you know, I, I joked with one of my buddies with the Ravens and their personnel department. I'm like, dude, how does this happen every year? You guys just sit and wait and just great player after great player just fall into your lap and you pick them. Uh, but, I mean, it was like, were they, were they able to get Patrick Queen? Tremendous value. Were they able to get J.K. Dobbins? Tremendous value. Matabike from AM, value. Like it was just all the way through. The last guy they took, the safety from Iowa, I thought was like a fourth round player. They got him in the seventh round. Stone. Uh, right? you know Stone. Yeah. yeah. So he's a good player. So they I thought they were outstanding. And then I think with Minnesota, obviously they had a ton of picks as well. When you get Justin Jefferson, who is tailor-made for this system, like he's going to catch a million balls in that system. So that's a, that's a huge hit. Jeff Gladney's feistiness, competitiveness, ball skills, like he fits like kind of the Mike Zimmer type of DB. He's plug and play. And then even Ezra Cleveland. Now, I don't think Ezra Cleveland's a perfect player by any stretch, but he is very athletic. And all, the, all that stretch game, all the zone game that they want to run and they have with Dalvin Cook, and now you have O'Neal on one side, I think ran in the 4.8s, uh, you've got Ezra Cleveland, who's a, you know ridiculous, and you've got Bradbury in the middle of it all, who's one of the most athletic centers. Like they can go laterally as well as any offense in the NFL right now. So I, I really like what they did. Okay, I, I want to go back to Baltimore because you did work there, and I yeah. said this to I said this to someone there like last week. I said, you know, what I like about the way the Ravens draft is I feel like I could explain it to my five year old. Does yeah. that make sense? Like I feel like. 
like I, and and I I remember like when I looked at like some of the moves they made last year and it's like okay like so you have Lamar Jackson it's like all right like we're going to load up on tight ends so we can run the ball we're going to get really fast receivers that's Hollywood Brown yep. so you know it, it sort of moves defenders out of the box it just it felt it feels to me like they like they draft the way in a way where you could explain it to a kid you yeah. know like 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 as complicated as this whole process is it's almost like the Ravens have a way of simplifying it. Like, A, would you agree with that? And B, like, what's behind that? If it is, if I am right in what I'm saying. Yeah. I think the other thing that the Ravens have done that nobody talks about is the fact of them identifying a problem area on the roster and, and not just like, you know, dabbling in it and maybe even using a first round pick. They attack that with multiple picks. So if you just go back through the years on some of these, right? Back when I was there, we took uh, Ben Grubbs in the first round, came back, took Marshall Yonda in the third, like both interior guys. Obviously, Ben Grubbs is a really good player, got a bunch of money from the Saints. Marshall Yonda is a Hall of Famer. So it would have been easy to say, well, we want to get tougher on the interior. We already got Ben Grubbs. Let's move on to other needs. No, let's let's double down. Um, look at what they did with, with Andrews and Hurst, right? You take Hurst in the first round, come back, take Andrews. Would have been easy to say, well, you address the tight end. Well, it turns out, again, once again, the, the second player they took at that same position ends up being a big hit. This year, they take Patrick Queen in the first round, off the ball linebackers in an area they had to address. They come back and get your Ohio State linebacker in the third round. So th that's just they've done this year after year after year is finding a problem and then devoting multiple resources to get it fixed. And so there's almost a humility in that too, right? Like in that you're saying to yeah. yourself, like, we're not a hundred percent. No one's a hundred percent. So we're gonna we're gonna throw another resource at this. Yeah. Just to make Increase sure. Increase your odds. Like, yeah. like right. Odds. Like 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 so we like Hayden Hurst, but we mm -hmm. also like Andrews. So let, yeah. let's take both. Like mm -hmm. it's almost like you're admitting internally. We might not get this one right, but we have to get the position right. So let's give us another. Let's give ourselves another chance to get it right. Think about. I think they. I think that I had already left. I believe at this time, but I think they took Pitta and Ed Dixon in the same draft as well, and doubled up on tight end all the way back then. And so, I mean, there's this is something. This is a theme that they've had. They did it, I think, with uh, with wideouts there last year too. I mean, I know it was a little bit later on, um, but they took the big Notre Dame kid after they had taken Hollywood Brown. So. They wanted to get they wanted to get fast Boykin and Miles Boykin is who they took so that's just that's just what they've done and again I I was advocating for them last year saying they need to build a track team around Lamar Jackson like just make this a track meet and then they've done that with the big guys that they have but then any skill position players the the way philosophically it makes sense if you're going to run the ball as well as they do the best rushing team in the NFL. When you throw the ball, it's not appetizers. It's the main course, man. Like, this is not five yards, seven yards. This is – you want to suck up to try and stop our run game, you're going to pay for it 50, 60 yards at a time. Um, so they did that. They went – got a track team around them. So when you want to drop a safety down in there, now you've got to be a little bit concerned. Well, it was interesting, too, because, like, answers to everything. Like, I even thought about, like – so you remember the Chargers attacked them with seven DBs in yep. that playoff game, Lamar's rookie year. And it's like, okay, so you want to put seven DBs in the field? We'll go sign Mark Ingram. Try yeah. tackling him with that guy that's playing linebacker now. It's yeah. just like everything has, like I said, like very simple logic, right? And the funny thing is a lot of people, I, I put in a mock draft. Uh, I had Swift going to the Ravens at the bottom of one, and people lost their minds. This is the number one run team in the league. Why would they ever take a running back that high? That makes no sense. They've got this guy, that guy, the other guy. So they run it more than anybody. 
So they're going to always want to be a full stable there. And, and if they can get even better at that position, they're going to do it. And so there, there they go. They take Dobbins in the second round and you've got Ingram. It's going to lighten the load on him to keep him fresh to, to make his career go a little bit longer. And it's going to, it's going to delay a little bit of the start of when Dobbins gets completely the keys to the, to the kingdom there. It's just, it just makes so much sense. Like, this is what we do. This is who we are. We're going to always keep reinvesting in these positions. It, you know, and it's exactly like I thought about, like, the Giants, how they used to do it with D linemen, right? And I remember yeah. talking to somebody there, and it's like, we can't afford to have our strength not be our strength anymore. Yeah. Like, we can't afford to be form- in a position. Uh, what's your formula? Yeah. Right, right. Uh, I do have to ask you about the Packers because I thought – I don't know. It's interesting because I feel like we've digested this maybe a little differently than the Rodgers pick was digested in 2005, even though Rodgers is now a year older than Favre was when they drafted him. So, yeah. like, do you like the idea of what they're doing? Like, And do you like the idea of taking Jordan Love when you're taking him? The way I look at it is, I one thing I do like about it is that you're not pitching – like, by doing this – you aren't pigeonholing yourself in a single year to have to get one, right? Yeah. Like, and I feel like that's how like take Christian Ponder. Yeah, take that. I, I feel like that's off. how that's how Christian Ponder goes twelfth, right? Yeah. Because you decide before you predetermine we're getting our quarterback now, and mm-hmm. like by doing this, the Packers sort of get themselves out of that situation. But there's obviously the window with with Rodgers. It's like how much longer do you have him? Don't you want to give him help? Like, what do you think of their decision um, not to? What do you what do you think of their decision to to put another like first round pick in that room? And mm-hmm. like, how do you see that playing out? In my opinion, Albert, I thought there was two wrongs. I thought him was the right because you've got a chance to have a smooth position of fifteen years with Favre to fifteen plus years with Rogers to hopefully fifteen plus years with this. So, important position and if you really are high on this this guy's ability which love has tremendous ability and you're confident you can develop him which he needs um i'd have no problem with that i think that was i think that was a smart decision i really do the two things i have a problem with number one now let's let's do some things for right now this is receiver draft is loaded you know move your way around the board wherever you have to do it um but you've got to give you've got to upgrade that room for Aaron Rodgers. Like just upgrade that room. And this is the draft to do it. And they didn't do that. So I thought that was a mistake. The second mistake I would say is I don't think that you call Aaron Rodgers when you're on the clock and say, Hey, we're getting ready to take a quarterback. Like that's not, you know, that's not reasonable. That's, that's not what you do. What you do though, is when you have a quarterback that's that established, whether it's a week before the draft or a month before the draft, you as the as the general manager, the head coach, have a conversation with Aaron Rodgers and say, "Hey, look, man, we have to. We're trying to win right now, but we also have a view of the long term here, and we're trying to make sure we make the right decisions." There's, you know, there's a couple quarterbacks, and who knows? We don't know that they would get to us in the draft, but there's a couple guys we really like, you know, for the long term here. And if they were to get down in our area, we would take them. Now, I'm not going to tell you who that quarterback is or the, you know, this is a 10% chance or a 99% chance we're going to do it. But I'm just giving you a heads up. I don't want you to be blindsided if we turn in the card for a quarterback in the first round. And that's a simple conversation to have. And again, a month before the draft, a week before the draft. But then when you, when you turn it in, he's not completely blindsided by it. I, I just, I don't understand, you know, why you wouldn't have had that discussion. Yeah, that makes sense to me because – I don't know. I mean, 
you saw what it looked like when it went bad with Favre and Rogers before yeah. too. I mean, yeah. I, I know Gutekunst was a young, was a Southeast area scout, but that's something like, mm-hmm. I, if, if, like you said, it feels avoidable. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it feels like to some degree that you can, well, you can remember avoid. that, remember that, uh, the princess bride, the movie, the princess bride, remember the dread pirate Roberts. And they said he would every night before I went to bed, they'd say, have a nice night. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. Wake up the next day. Nothing happened. Have a nice night. Most likely kill you in the morning. Like, I almost think with Rogers, like maybe this doesn't happen for a three-year period, but at least he knows like it's being discussed. It's being talked about. It's a potential. Uh, there's a possibility there that this could happen. But I think when you don't know anything and all of a sudden you could get blindsided by that a little bit. Sure, sure. Okay. Is there – and I want to talk about a couple of bigger picture things to, to wrap up after this, but is there a fit or two that you really liked? Like where you said to yourself, right player, right team, that's going to work. It's a good question. I, you, you know who I really liked, um, and we talked about it just a minute ago there with with uh, with Kenneth Murray going to the Chargers. And think of it from this standpoint: if you are on playing the Kansas City Chiefs twice a year, and you have a third down situation, you have the length and athleticism and speed of Murray and Derwin James both lined up in the middle of the field. Now they could be stacked next to each other; they could be on top of each other. Everything can get out to the perimeter. You've got two guys that can go run and chase and use their length and speed to make plays like that. That to me is a great fit for your division and and for who you're going to play and your opponents. And I thought inside the division, it was fascinating to see then what the Broncos and the Raiders did, which was, okay, we're going to put together a four by one team and we're going to try and keep up with you guys on the scoreboard on the other side of things. So when you look at, you know, bringing in Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, Denver, Okay, Drew Locke, big arm. Like they've got, you know, Melvin Gordon. They've got backs now to go along with Philip Lindsay. I mean, this is a this is a team that's got a real a real identity now offensively. Raiders did the same thing. You know, when they can go out there now with Rugs and Darren Waller, like you've got a tight end that runs four four five. You've got a wideout that's in the four twos, and you've got a running back who ran for over eleven hundred yards. Now you're going to be able to take some shots, you know, and and we'll see if Derek Carr can get in that attack mode. But that's what I when I look at teams and I say, okay, I know what you're trying to do I didn't like I didn't love Isaiah Wilson as a player I thought I did not think he was a first-round player but he fits you know that's what Tennessee wants to do they want to beat people up and run the ball down your throats like go get the mammoth you know mall right tackle that that's kind of uh, what they do so when I look at these things and try and figure out it's not who got the best players it's who got who fits with these guys like this this I can make sense of it and that's why with the Packers you know like AJ Dillon I just that doesn't really fit like how they've played unless they're totally changing what they're doing. So I'll give, I'll throw two, two at you that I got from teams. One yeah. was, was Brandon Ayuk. Yep. And I know how much you love him, but yep. Brandon Ayuk going to play for Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. And the other was Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Oh yeah. Going to Kansas city. So those are the two that I got from, from teams that like, that, that should really work. Like Ayuk, because I guess, you know, the yep. yards after catch things big for Kyle, Kyle's obviously really good at evaluating receivers, and then, and then Edwards Alaire to Kansas City, you know, oh, based on all the circumstances. that space, he's going to have so much space to work underneath in the pass game. I mean, that's you know the crazy thing with Kansas City is you think about with Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins and all the weapons down the field. But last year, seeing it up close, you know, personal two times, you know what Mahomes can do with his legs. Like anytime he wants, because they have so much speed. He can go. He can run for ten yards anytime he wants. You know how many third and fives have you seen him just easily go pick up eight, ten yards? 
And now instead of him even doing that, he can just take the lazy route and say, oh, Clyde, you got it. You got all that space. You go make something happen. I mean, it's, it's not fair. I got a text. Actually, I should, I pull it up. I'll text it to you. I got a text from one of the, one of our mutual friends that's uh, that's high up with one of the top teams in the league and just said, how are we supposed to cover all their eligibles? Like after the Clyde Edwards alert pick, like everybody they can potentially get out into the route causes a problem. It was funny because like at the end of the whole process too, I kind of got the feeling more and more teams started to get hot on him. And it was like, you're watching Burrow or you're watching Charles or you're watching Jefferson or you're watching whoever. Mm -hmm. And like what I'd hear from these coaches and these scouts was you kept getting drawn back to 22 because he kept showing up over and over and over again. So that should be fascinating. Okay. Big picture questions. Uh, The first one I have for you really, you know, because you still talk to all these guys, you got so many relationships through the league um, and the scouting community. You know, the last three months were different for everybody. Yeah. And, I'm sure you got back what I got back, which was certain things actually worked better. You know, like there were certain things that they actually, that, 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 that GMs, that coaches actually thought, you know what, this is actually better than it was before. So I, I think like, I think there's going to be changes. Do you have a feel for what some of the big picture changes and how scouts do their jobs, GMs do their jobs, even coaches when they get involved, um, you know, in the spring, how, how all of this works in the future? I think it's fascinating, and I think a lot of people have talked about the coaching side of it. And I'm, I'm, I said it on the broadcast, though. I mean, I talked to a, a quarterback coach in the NFL who said this has been a, it's been a good thing for his home life to be, you know, during this time of year in the off season, quote unquote, for coaches to be watching tape and doing that work at home as opposed to being in the office. And he, he gave a great example. He's like, look, we have a couple years, um, and you know, it's not like I'm, I don't even not even sitting there like. Yeah, I quote unquote, you know, watching the kids, but he's like, if my wife has to run to the post or to the, to the mailbox, or my wife has to go run to the grocery store real quick, like I'm home, she can go do those things. Like it's just made life so much easier on our family for me to be working, you know, from home during this period of time. And it's been healthy for them um, to have that time together, which I think is great. And I think we will see a continuation of that. What I'm fascinated to see is now that we go through to, to the fall with scouting, because and I've talked to a couple people about this, and they, they share the same belief in that for those that don't know, as scouts, you're gone 150 to 200 nights a year. You're gone. Most guys go out two weeks at a time, come home for a weekend, two weeks at a time, come home for a weekend. And you go from school to school to school to school. Now, when you go to the school, what you need to get accomplished there is you need to, um, first and foremost, watch the tape, which you used to have to do. You have to go to the school to watch the tape because it was all on, on uh, beta right? So they would have to send those tapes into the NFL dub center. They would send them out to your teams. Your teams would then send them out to the area scouts. Well, that's long since over. Everybody has access to that on their, on their, you know, iPads, uh, surface devices at home. So you, you don't need to go in there to watch the tape. That used to be one of the reasons you go in. Second reason you go in is because you got to go talk to the source. You got to go in there. You talk to the liaison, the assistant coach, the position coach, um, academic advisor, trainer, well, as teams have now gotten more comfortable dealing with Zoom and having those Zoom calls, I think what you're going to end up having is these schools telling a lot of these scouts, especially during this next year, hey, on Tuesdays and Thursdays for Oregon, you know, at, at 8 a.m., our strength coach is going to be on Zoom. At 8.30, it'll be our academic advisor. At 9 o'clock, it'll be – you can talk to all those people from home. So that's, that's a reason. Cross that one off the list of why you'd have to be there. Uh, following – the last reason would be you want to see these guys move around, Right. Um, and most colleges, what they do is they let scouts come out for practice. 
uh, during like the pat and go session, you know, where quarterbacks and receivers just playing catch linebackers and DBs are just going through their individual drills. You don't even get to stay out on the field for any of the team interaction because these college coaches are paranoid that you're going to share some information. So why couldn't they then make that video, that portion of practice and make that available online where you can see these guys warm up so you can body type them, see them move around. So that those are all the reasons why you would have to physically go on the campus. They're all gone. There's no reason why you couldn't do all of that from home. And at the colleges, with, with the a virus going around, the less people they're bringing into their building, especially guys that have been hopscotching all over the country, they're not going to want those guys coming into their building. Um, so I think we could be looking at a fall where scouts are literally doing their jobs from home. That's like interesting too, because somebody brought that up to me. It's like, like, and, and I think it was a scout who actually, I, I think his wife might've brought it up to him where he was like, like, do you really, like, do you really think by the fall it's going to be okay for like somebody who's in that, that sort of job mm-hmm. to be going literally from college campus to college campus, going from state to state for some yeah. guys going to different parts of the country, right? Like your national scouts, your college scouting directors, those guys like are going all over the country. Like, and his point was, it's not going to be like, we're, we're like, we're probably not going to be at that point in the fall. Yeah. So even if you don't want to do some of the things you're talking about, some, to some degree, you might be forced to, right? Yeah. Like, so some teams might get a dry run at this naturally. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I just think that's, that's kind of where we're headed. And I know in the grand scheme of things, this is not a lot of money, but when you add up a scouting staff of 15 to 20 guys and you add up all the mileage that they get reimbursed for the hotels, the meals, all that stuff, that's money that you're putting back in the pocket of the organization, not having to travel these guys all over the place. And the other thing I would say is, you know, one of the main benefits is getting to see these guys interact with their teammates and move around, which is just going to put more emphasis on, you know, potentially going to games where you could be spread out, you know, and still get a chance to, to see these guys at some games in your area. You know, you, you scout the West coast, you live where I live, you know, Oregon's going to come play at USC. So instead of me going up to Oregon to see those guys, I'll see them at the Coliseum, you know, close, close by team area scouts can do that all over the country. And the other thing is you'll get a chance to say, you know what, we'll see these guys at all-star games. We'll see them at the combine and we'll get a chance to fill in whatever gaps we may have. There's gotta be like an element. I just think about it from my own standpoint though, like FaceTime is still valuable. Like for me, like as far as source building, like as much Mm -hmm. as I can be talking and texting with guys, it's still valuable for me to be in front of them. Yeah. So that that's got to exist to some degree, right? Because well, I mean, like a huge part of your a scout's job is information gathering. That's not just sitting in front of a screen and watching tape, right? What it's going to do is it's going to create a tremendous advantage for guys that have been doing it for a while and have built up relationships. Then I can call the assistant coach that I've known for twenty years, and I know I'm going to get the real story from him, even if we're not face to face. Whereas, you know, a younger guy that's starting out, you're just one of faces on a zoom box of scouts that he's giving the standard spiel to you know you're going to have to have that extra level of communication which is obviously you benefit from from being face to face but i i just i don't think that's where we're going to be in the upcoming year okay the second big picture thing and i think that this one's really interesting there are a bunch of guys who and I, this is probably every year but there are there are a handful of guys who had tough calls on whether or not to declare and chose to go back 
And I'll run down. You can add to this list the names that are just off the top of my head. There are a bunch at Bama. Mm-hmm. Alex Leatherwood, Najee Harris. We talked about Devontae Smith a little bit before mm-hmm. um, before we went on here. Uh, the corner of Ohio State, Sean Wade. Uh, Travis Etienne, I think that was a yep. real shocker that he yeah. didn't come out. He's a junior running back at Clemson, going to be a senior in the fall. So I, I think the question becomes now, With we're in, into May, and mm-hmm. generally guys have to declare for the supplemental draft in June. If there's still a lot of uncertainty over the college season happening in the fall, if do you think there's going to be an influx of these kids trying to get into the supplemental draft and could the supplemental draft in July look a lot different than, than it normally does? I, I know teams are preparing for just this situation. You know, we'll have to wait and see what happens. And I have to refresh myself quite honestly on the rules of, of being eligible to get into the supplemental draft, but I guarantee you they're going to, you can come up with a hardship when you can show that there's no certainty you're going to play your season. Um, but you just mentioned some quality guys there, and this is a chance if you're a team to really kind of have two drafts um, to come back and really upgrade your roster. And I think, you know, in years past, supplemental usually maybe every four or five years we'll see a guy go in the third round, and then outside of that, you know, sixth round, seventh, guys just sign afterwards. But it has not been, uh, you know, a, a big influx of talent. When you start seeing potentially some of the names that you just mentioned coming in, now you're going to have teams saying, you know, not second round picks, a couple first round picks in that list. Um, then it becomes really fascinating. You talk about NFL team, a chance to double down and really upgrade your roster. Uh, that's a, That could be a very, very good list. And one of the other things talking to uh, – I was actually talking to an agent the other day who brought this up and said, you know, it's one thing for power five schools to not have fans in attendance – and how they could proceed and, and it could be still financially, you know, sensible, sensible, you know, in terms of the, what they get from the TV contracts. But if you're a non-power five school and you don't have that same level of contract, they rely on the gate for a lot of their income. So how are they going to pull this? How are they going to pull that off? If they're saying you can play the games, but there's no fans. I mean, just operating the department, I don't know that they'd be right side up for some of those schools. So with that, lead what I'm getting at is would that lead some of those non-power five players that maybe aren't you know maybe you're talking about fifth sixth seventh round type picks would that lead them to jump into this uh, supplemental draft I mean it's just there's a lot of unknowns is there are there a couple of names that stick out that really excite you then I'm sure maybe maybe I mentioned a couple of them there but like yeah where you would say God, you know you at least have to have a discussion in the first round and maybe he will go in the second round I think that the Vontae Smith would have been in the discussion to be the top receiver this year. He'd have been in that group. I think Travis Etienne had a really good chance of being the top running back in this group. So you're talking about potentially after the draft has already happened, you get like a, another shot at this thing to potentially get the best receiver and best running back. Like they're still out there. I don't know. We've seen that in a long, long time. And for, you know what? Another name popped in my head too. The Penn State tight end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Like he's another one that Ooh, I think a lot of people thought would come out. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, all right. Last thing for me then. I appreciate all the time, DJ. Uh, yep. yep. So, you know, I, I know you haven't really, really dove in yet on 2021, but you have a working knowledge of the class. Yeah. What do you think we're going to be talking about in 10, 11 months um, when it comes to the cl- from, to the 2021 class? Well, that's always going to be the quarterbacks. I think Trevor Lawrence has probably – you, you love to get your thoughts on this. I would say Trevor Lawrence going back to, you'd have to go back to Andrew Luck 
to find somebody that was a this kind of hyped but b was like a foregone conclusion he's going to be the top quarterback even though you know fields is 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 intriguing player um kid north dakota state's got a lot of buzz early on but i think in terms of like a clear front runner like Sam Darnold was a front runner, but there was, you know, it wasn't to this level of expectation with where we are with Trevor Lawrence, with his skill set, um, everything that he could, that he possesses. I mean, I, I would that's what I would argue. I think the difference is that there's like two years of runway. Like yeah. Andrew Luck, when he was a redshirt freshman, like you started here, he's going to be the number one overall pick. Yeah. Then the second year, it like became a certainty. Mm-hmm. Then he didn't come out. Then he went back, and there was a third year. And so you had like this long runway. Yeah. It's like Peyton Manning when I and I was a teenager for that, so I don't like I made yeah. my recollection of that might not be, uh, but but I remember people talking about him being a really high pick early in his career, and so that's why I think that the Lawrence with Lawrence it's like that. Like mm-hmm. it was very early that people identified him. That guy's going to be a high pick. Mm-hmm. Um. So I guess Fields. Is Fields like does Fields have a shot of because I don't think he does because yeah. I just think at the end of the day Lawrence is going to be such a safe pick for whoever. Mm-hmm. But do you I, like from what you've seen of Fields? Would he have a chance of overtaking him? I mean, I think look, I saw the, both these kids on the high school field together up at the opening at Nike, and Fields was the MVP of the, of the tournament. So um, it was a seven on seven tournament up there with all the top high school players in the country. So he's ability wise, he's pretty special. I mean, I, that would not. You know, totally shocked me. I guess uh, I would still say that you have a, a commanding lead if you're Lawrence, but that's that that field is legit. Like this is not somebody that you're like a fringe first rounder. Does he vault way up? You know, like we've seen the last couple of years with the number one overall picks. Like he's not going to have to come from the back of the pack like Joe Burrow, uh, Field or Kyler Murray. Like he's starting in a better position than those guys were that ultimately ended up being the top pick. I just don't think in these classes we've had over the last few years, we had somebody with kind of the reputation that, that Lawrence has. So is there is there a guy like that you're kind of keeping your eye on that could be, I mean, three years in a row, right? Like yeah. we've had a guy who's kind of come from the back of the pack, Baker Mayfield, you know, Kyler Murray, and now, and now Joe Burrow. Like n- nobody looked at those guys as first-round picks, let alone number one overall picks going into their last year. Yeah. Is there someone you're keeping an eye on that could be that guy? Well, I mean, I'll know more probably in the next couple of weeks as I jump in on these guys and really start to see them. Um, I would, the, the kid in North Dakota State is the one that everybody's been talking about. Uh, Trey Lance, am I getting that one? Yeah, right? I think that's right. Yeah, so he's he's one that's that's uh, definitely got some attention from guys that have started to do their early work. The one I'm kind of fascinated on to study, who I have not studied yet. I know he was hurt a lot last year, but I'm you know I'm good buddies with Coach Shaw up there at Stanford. He really likes Davis Mills, their quarterback. So, uh, you know, and I know he's had some injuries, battled some injuries, but David's seen some good ones and kind of knows what they look like. And he really likes his kids. Okay. So uh, is there, like when you, he plays, he plays. okay. When you see, when you look at the class as a whole, then, um, other things that, that you think will stick out about the class? Well, I mean, I think Panay Sewell, when you look at the offensive line, like get a chance to have a premier, premier offensive tackle, was, you know, it's not often we have a tackle that gets the type of hype that he's gotten so far. It's clearly kind of been the best tackle in college football now. Um, so he, he that'll be an interesting storyline to follow. I think we're going to see another boatload of receivers. I mean, we're just kind of in that era where you expect it now. I haven't, you know, again, I haven't done the kid yet, but the kid at Minnesota, everybody raves about him to me. I have not watched him yet, so I'm anxious to study him. I know about Devontae Smith. I know about Waddle, who will be draft eligible next year, who's, you know, he's a freak show with how explosive and how fast he is. 
Um, you've got uh, Justin Ross at Clemson. I mean, there's a long Jamar long, Chase. Jamar yeah. Chase is Alave Alave draft eligible too. I Alave believe is Ohio too, yeah. State. So that yeah, there's there's going to be another really good group of wideouts. All right, he's Daniel Jeremiah. You can find him at Move the Sticks on NFL.com. His podcast, Move the Sticks, with my buddy Bucky Brooks. Uh, anywhere else? I didn't miss anything there, DJ? No, I think you got it, buddy. Yeah, we're, this is fun. Yeah, this is kind of the fun time of year. I don't know how, how you approach it, but I, I get a chance to try and, A, try and learn and grow on your own. And then I, I've uh, we've kind of trans, uh, transferred this podcast during this time of year. We did it last year. But Bucky and myself, we said, you know, we want to talk to like team builders. So we've really just kind of had the who's who of you know, the top college coaches we have what baseball GMs on. We're working on getting a couple basketball GMs on, and just kind of learning about overall you know, team building philosophy. So, as much as I love studying the individual players, the team building stuff is kind of it's another thing that excites me about this time of year. That's really interesting too, because you probably I would be interested to hear like what a baseball GM or a basketball GM thinks of like NFL GMs. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and what he thinks they do well and what they don't do. You know what I mean? Cause I'm yeah. sure that they all have, cause you know, those guys talk. So I wonder like what their opinions of each other are. That's, you know? what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to find out, man. That's what we're going to do this summer. All right. Appreciate it, DJ. Thanks bud. Hey, one thing I'm, one thing I was going to ask you kind of like, and, and I, I was took too much of your time, but I think it's just an interesting topic. Do you go back and like, like look at like what maybe people might have missed on Burrow last year. Like, would you go back and like look at your notes? I, I'm just wondering. I have them, yeah. I have them, yeah. I mean, I just think that I just don't think that the comfort level with him was there last year more than anything else. I mean, it, it's all been discussed, but I mean, I thought I had written about him before the year started and said I thought he had a chance to be kind of a breakout guy, but I, you know, not to this extent. But I mean, I definitely thought there was there was more talent there than the production indicated. Uh, there was more meat on the bone, but I did not know it was going to go to this level. Yeah, it was interesting because he said to me, he said, I thought that, I think you'll find this interesting. He said to me that like he had to remind himself that he was an athlete, right? Yeah. And what he said was, he goes, you know, when you're just a practice, I was a practice quarterback for three years. And what they want yeah. you to do when you're a practice quarterback, throw the ball away, yeah. right? Yeah. So you keep throwing the ball away, throwing the ball away, throwing the ball away. It's like, I had to remind myself that I don't like, that's not who I am as a player. Yeah. And he said, once I started to remind myself that halfway through my junior year, I started to play differently. I thought that was really interesting. How like being a practice player for so long had sort of affected how he, how he played, mm -hmm. you know? And he was like, you know, my strength is as a competitor and I wasn't playing like that because I've been so used to sort of competing in this sterile environment that wasn't like, just, you know, don't get hit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. No, I, I, yeah, I just think all, also just general rust. Like, yeah, played much in three years, man. Like, he just knocked off some of that rust. But he's easy to root for. He's a good kid. You know the oh, guy we forgot, kid. by the way? We forgot Marvin Wilson. That was the guy we forgot. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, but, but, I mean, I'm telling you, like, I was the reason I was a little bit late because I was talking to Joe D, and we were kind of going through all the supplemental guys and talking about that and, like, like you're a team like that that address the offensive line. Like you might, I mean, between me, you and the wall, but like you could really address your skill positions, you know, and yeah. supplemental. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and, and you, you might be able to get a bargain on a guy because teams are hesitant to give up future yeah. picks. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I, it's just, it makes more sense. It makes a ton of sense. And if you're one of these kids and it's like, you're sitting there in the middle of June and it's, 
you know, I, the rumor I heard was that they're that they're looking at starting this, the college season October first now, yeah. and that they're going to eliminate the conference ske- the non conference schedule. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I, I think for a number of reasons, but I think part of it is that they can't get kids on campus quick enough. Yeah, yeah. and um, and if they do that, then like I think some of these kids probably look at it and say, "Do I really want to go back for eight games?" Yeah, you know. And I, I don't know. I just think there are a lot of moving parts. The other there. thing is like, just am I going to have access to a working weight room and all that kind of stuff? Like, you don't think about that. Like, well, if the NFL is open and they're, I'm going to get a chance to get coach trained and get better versus my, my university who might be a little bit more liberal in their approach saying, you know, you guys can't be on campus and all that kind of stuff. So it's fascinating. fascinating. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm digging in a little more into it too, but I think it's, yeah, I think it's really, really interesting. All right. Hey, hey, bud, I always appreciate the time. If you need anything from yeah, me, thanks, ever, man. You, you know to reach out. Thanks. Glad I could dress up for you. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I might have done you better. My, my sleeves are torn. Like I was, I was outside shooting jumpers talking to Joe D. And I was like, oh, crap. I got to go to Breer. Uh, there you go. There you right, go. Man. We'll get See back you, out there. Later, appreciate bro. it. Bye later. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, thanks again to DJ. He's the best. Go check out all of his stuff. You guys know where to find him on on NFL.com, NFL Network. And, you know, he'll be getting you guys ready for the 2021 draft real soon. We're going to jump into the six-pack. You guys know how this works. Because of the pandemic, we've been in the situation pretty much all offseason where we can't do the voicemails and the emails. So we're reverting to doing the six-pack on Tuesday. Every Tuesday, I put the call out for questions on Twitter. I ask you send me questions. Once I get them, I sort through them. If I like your question, you get an answer. Plus you get a like on Twitter. I hit that little heart button there. Um, question number one this is from Ray. It's at BlackBod community manager at BB Ray. Ray one Charlers Chargers head coach, Anthony Lynn treading the company line with support for Tyrod, or is it genuine thoughts on how many games before we see Herbert? Um, all right. So first of all, you know, having talked to to Aylin about this, I don't think that Tyrod goes into camp with a job locked down. If Herbert blows them away, Herbert blows them away and he's the starter. Tyrod will get the first snap, but that does not mean that he's the starter week one. Um, that said, I do think that they really like Tyrod. I think that they were okay going forward with Tyrod if they didn't like this year's quarterbacks. I don't think that they ever saw him as the answer for the next five or six years. I know that there's been it's been out there that they really like him, and I don't think that's untrue. But there's different degrees of that. And so would you feel comfortable with him as your quarterback for a couple of years if you needed him to be the guy because you couldn't find the right long-term answer? Yeah, I think that, 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 that Anthony Lynn and Tom Telesco and all the guys in the Charger organization would be okay with that. You know, but clearly they knew that they had to find a long-term answer. And I'm told that they were comfortable with Tua Tungavaloa too. So they would have taken either Herbert or Tungavaloa with the sixth overall pick. And ultimately, you know, I think that organizationally, if if Justin Herbert shows that he can come in and be at least even with what Tyrod is, then I think he starts because it's in the best long-term interest of the organization. We saw what happened in Cleveland with Tyrod. I think the situation is somewhat similar to that. Except that Herbert, I think, is going to be given a real chance to compete for the job in camp, where with Baker Mayfield, it was more he won it in September. Uh, question number two from Jasper. That's Jasper Romelet. I probably probably butchered your name there. How will the ongoing pandemic affect upcoming negotiations for a new television deal? Good question, Jasper. Um, I do think that it will, but maybe not in the way that you think. Um, I think it's more sort of 
based on the spending, um, based on this, based on the the spending of big businesses in general now, and is there a cap on how much Fox can spend, and is there a cap on how much CBS can spend? These are still going to be historic television deals, um, but I think a lot of it is going to sort of ride on you know like what's happening with the the larger parent companies that are making decisions for NBC Sports, for Fox Sports, for ESPN and ABC Sports. Like who's ultimately making those decisions? It's the parent companies and they're the ones that are going to put the cap on how much you can spend. And so I still think it's an incredibly valuable product. I think that you will see the you will see like a a very very spirited spirited bidding process. Um, and I think that, you know, if we get to the fall and this is still going on and football is on TV, we'll see how much val- football is really valued in this country, which I believe it's a lot. And so, um, you know, I think all of those things come into play. But I think the, the, the just the way big business operates is going to be a factor in all of this, too. Question number three is from 385 career home runs at HOF Dewey. Um <laughs> I think that's Dwight Evans, right? What do you think the 2021 salary cap will look like? We mentioned this off the top. I, I I think that it really sort of depends on what form the 2020 season is is played in. If it's played in front of fans, um, if it's played in the form of a full 16 game season, then it will be unaffected. And you know maybe future salary caps are affected by how the television deals work out, but it will be unaffected. If it's, a, if it's a shortened season, or if it's a, or or if we have a situation where home games are not attended by fans, then I think the best that the players can hope for is that it's flat in 2021, which means it's right under 200 million dollars again, and that's a blow for the players because they were expecting this whole thing to sort of spike. Now that said. It's good that they got the the the, the uh, CBA done, because man, it would have been very very difficult to negotiate a new collective bargaining agreement in this in this environment. Question number four from Don Ridenour, one of our regulars: uh, How many games do you think get played this year? I'm sorry, I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to Don. I'm going to come back to you in the mailbag. Okay. Question number four. This is from Travis PPH. That's at Salvage uh, fifty. Do you think Andrew Thomas was the best offensive tackle in this year's draft? It's a good question, Travis. I think he was the cleanest offensive tackle in this year's draft. I think if I was the Giants and it was my first pick with Joe Judge as the head, co- as the head coach, Andrew Thomas would have been the player I was most comfortable taking. And so I 100% endorsed their, their, their decision to pick him. He may not have had the highest upside of the four, but I, I think it was the right move. And here's why. As I made my phone calls ahead of the draft, you really heard the other three guys get picked apart. Um, I think that the, to, to some degree, the Alabama coaches were a little a little lukewarm on Jedrick Wills. So I think that that is something that came into play for some teams that are closer to some of those Alabama coaches. There's also the question, can he play left tackle? Obviously, he was a right tackle as a collegian. Um, you know, with Tristan Wirfs, is he a left tackle? Is he a right tackle? Is he a guard? With Makai Becton, there's the weight issue. There's a discipline issue. There's a consistency issue. Um, but he's got an enormous upside. Andrew Thomas was the one that you couldn't really pick apart. And so, you know, in the days leading up to the draft, I remember asking around just like, hey, like, why, why isn't this guy going higher? Like, why do 
people look at him and say like ninth, 10th, 11th pick, shouldn't he be the first one to go? And so I think there was some pretty simple logic there. And you add that to the fact that he played for Kirby Smart at Georgia and Smart was on the staff with Joe Judge at Alabama. It makes all the sense in the world that the, the Giants took Andrew Thomas fourth overall. Question number six. I think this is six, right? No, this is question number six. Okay, we are going to get to your question, Don. Uh, question number five, sorry. Long week. Uh, this is from Paul Mon. That's at Morney7. Is Gase on any kind of hot seat for the upcoming season, or will any blame for a poor year point be pointed at Darnold? I think Gase is fighting for his job in 2020 for a very specific reason. And that very specific reason has nothing to do with Sam Darnold. It doesn't even really have as much to do with the GM, with Joe Douglas. It has to do with ownership. And, you know, the the question is, is Woody Johnson coming back in the summer from the UK? If Woody Johnson's coming back from the summer in the UK, he didn't hire Adam Gase. And so I think immediately the Adam Gase is sort of put on notice at that point. And at that point, Adam Gase, through no fault of his own, is going to be watched because the guy making the decision didn't hire him. And I think that creates a different dynamic for anybody. So absolutely, yes. I think he is on 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 a, on, on, on to some degree a hot seat and will blame you for a poor year be pointed at Darnold. No, I mean, I think he's going to be have to be fully accountable for whatever happens this year including what happens with Darnold because the reason he was brought in is because he's got a reputation for developing young quarterbacks. Finally, question number six, Don, I'm going to circle back to you. This has been a little bit of a, a little bit of a 10 car pile up here getting to your question, but this is question number six from Don Riddenauer at Don Riddenauer. How many games do you think it played this year? And when does the season start? I'm going to say 16. And I think the season starts on time, whatever the date for kickoff is September 10th. Um, I'm not hundred percent on that. I don't know for sure, but I'm going to say it does get, it does start on time. I would not rule out. I would not rule out if it makes a difference as far as putting butts in the seats, having fans in the stands, I would not rule out the idea that they move it back a month to October 1st. I think that certainly is in play at the college level as well. Thank you guys for coming out. I appreciate you guys sticking with me as the weather gets nice and we're all still cooped up, and it's actually May now, and things are a little slower in the NFL. We're going to try to do some, let's just say this, we're going to try some different stuff um, with the podcast over the over the next couple of months. I may add um, you know, a, a different form of podcast too, but I want your feedback on what you guys want here too, and you guys know how to get to me. Get to me on my, all my social channels, at Albert Breer on, on Twitter, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram and you guys know where to find this podcast. And if you don't, then you just bumped into us, but you can get us in the MMQB NFL podcast feed there. You can also get the Monday morning podcast with Jared, with Gary. You can get the week side podcast with Jenny and Connor. Um, you can get our gambling podcast, which I think returned last week. Um, you can get all of us under one feed. That's the MMQB NFL podcast feed. There's also the MMQB um, NFL news feed, which gives you the news in a bite-sized form. Both those podcast feeds, click on both of them. You can find those on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. Same time next week. I'll see you then.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right, come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.